This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Happy New Year and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This is episode 101 entitled, Mark's Son of Man Bearing the Father's Glory. As always, the Biblical Unitarian Podcast is the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. Hopefully our podcast has encouraged you to have those very important conversations. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Dustin Smith. As always, I will be your host. In our last episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast... We observe that the Son of Man is a rejected, suffering, and killed figure, only to be raised from the dead three days later. In doing so, we saw that Mark's Christology regarded Jesus as God's special human agent, who, while mortal, represented the people of God in the important role of the Son of Man. Today's passage is the following verse from where we left off of last week. We will look at the return of the Son of Man from heaven, what Christians regard as the second coming of Christ. Upon his return, Jesus will act as judge and Jesus will bear the glory of God. What are we to make of these high accolades used to describe Jesus? Does depicting Jesus doing the things of God and possessing God's glory make him equal or identical with God? Or is this another case of God sharing his attributes and prerogatives with special human agents? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is looking at the Son of Man returning as the glorified judge. I'm going to read a passage out of Mark chapter 8 and verse 38. Jesus says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That's Mark chapter 8, verse 38. There is actually quite a lot that we can extrapolate from this Son of Man passage. Those who are ashamed of Jesus and his teachings will find a radical reversal on the Day of Judgment, where the returning Son of Man will be ashamed of them in turn. Yes, the role of judgment has been handed over to Jesus, specifically to Jesus as the Son of Man. Throughout the Hebrew Bible, the vocation of cosmic judge belonged to God alone. But, Mark chapter 8, verse 38 depicts Jesus bearing the role of judgment as one who has been shared with him by God. This is yet another indication that God shares his prerogatives with special human agents. Here, that special human agent is the human one, the Son of Man. I should comment and say that it was customary in biblical scholarship a generation or two ago to drive a wedge between Jesus and the Son of Man in this passage. 
since Jesus talks about himself in the first person, and then he talks about the Son of Man in the third person. But it can be safely concluded that Mark's readers would know exactly who the Son of Man is by this point in the narrative. Since the title has exclusively been used as a self-reference for Jesus, it is highly unlikely that Mark's readers would conclude from Mark 8.38 that Jesus and the Son of Man are two distinct persons. That would be strange. Anyways, Jesus describes what can only be the second coming of the Son of Man, accompanied by the angels. It is interesting to note a distinction here between three categories. First, we have Jesus as the Son of Man, that is, as a human being. Second, we have the Father, who has shared his glory with the Son of Man. More on that later. And lastly, we have angels, presumably heavenly angels since they come out of heaven. Jesus is distinguished from God the Father and from heavenly angels. There is no indication that Jesus speaks of his glorious return to judge as God in the flesh or as Michael the archangel. Jesus plainly depicts his identity as the Son of Man, that is, as a human being. But this is far from a mere man, as some have suggested. This human being has been the beneficiary of God's own glory, which is often neglected, but it's an extremely important point for Mark's Christology. Let's look at that in more detail. Our second point today is the Son of Man as the human agent bearing God's glory. Jesus states that he will come, quote, in the glory of his Father, end quote. In other words, the Father's own glory has been shared with the human being Jesus. This is not Jesus' glory innately. Rather, it is a derived glory from the Father. This is a crucially important point. God's glory is one of his unique attributes that some feel belongs to God alone. For example, Isaiah chapter 42 and verse 8 says that Yahweh will not give his glory to another. But the context in Isaiah 42 depicts the other as idols with which God surely will not share his glory. The Hebrew Bible does have instances where God, on rare occasions, shares his unique glory with special human agents, thus creating the foundation upon which Mark builds his Christological depiction of Jesus Christ as a human being bearing the attributes and prerogatives typically reserved for God alone. Three passages are important to consider, passages involving Moses, Adam, and the Son of Man. Let's start in Exodus chapters 33 and 34. I'm going to look beginning in Exodus 33, verse 18. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And he said, 
I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of Yahweh before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show my compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Then Yahweh said, Behold, there is a place by me, and ye shall stand there on the rocks, and it will come about while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. That's Exodus 33, verse 18 through 23. The passage continues in regard to the glory of Moses in Exodus 34, verse 29, which says, It came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of testimony were in Moses' hand as he was coming down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. That's Exodus 34, verse 29. Clearly, God has shared his glory with Moses to the point where Moses was glowing. His face shone because of the glory that God has shared with him. Let's look at God sharing his glory with Adam in Psalm 8. I'm going to start in verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. That's Psalm 8, verses 3 through 5, to where the original human being, Adam, described as a son of man, was someone that was created a little lower than God, but God crowned Adam with God's own glory and God's own majesty. Let's look also in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. That's Daniel 7, verses 13 through 14, where the Son of Man is given from God, God's glory. As we can see, certain special human agents, such as Moses, Adam, and yes, even the Son of Man, are depicted in the Hebrew Bible as recipients of God's own glory. The Daniel 7 passage alone is enough to create an appropriate context wherein the Son of Man in Mark's Gospel is to receive God's own glory. God can share his glory with a special human being. And in Mark chapter 8, verse 38, Jesus is the recipient of both God's glory and God's prerogative to judge. In other words, Mark depicts the return of Jesus as a human being, distinct from God and the angels, bearing the authority to judge and bearing the glory of the Father. To claim that this is a mere man 
is simply a refusal to acknowledge the enormous measure of authorization Jesus has in this passage. An authorization that was given to him from the Father. And this Father, according to Mark 8.38, is not just any Father, but the Father of the Son of Man. Let's look into this a little bit further. Our third point today is the Son of Man in relationship with God the Father. Jesus declared plainly that the Son of Man would return in the glory of his Father. This sheds some interesting light on the relationship between the Son of Man and God the Father, information that is often overlooked in casual readings of this passage. God the Father is the Father of the Son of Man. The human Son of Man is, therefore, the Son of the Father. And to be the Son of the Father makes one a Son of God. If Mark is portraying Jesus in this passage as both the Son of Man and the Son of God, this effectively combines both titles, marking Jesus out as both the authorized human agent of God as well as the anointed king of Israel. This theological point might be common stock to Christian readers familiar with the New Testament, but it's important to point out that this is something that was not foreseen within the Hebrew Bible. There was no indication in the Hebrew Bible that the anointed Son of God would be one and the same as the agent of God demarcated as the Son of Man in Daniel 7.13. So this connection is an interesting point from that development. It should come as no surprise to astute readers, but it needs to be said every now and then that Son of Man and Son of God are titles, not references to the later Trinitarian two natures theory of Jesus, who is supposedly 100% God and 100% man at the same time. Son of Man, consistently depicted in Mark, is the human being bearing God's authority and prerogatives. The Son of Man is distinct from God, whom we now clearly know is the actual Father of the Son of Man. The Son of God is the King who is anointed by God the Father. In other words, the very definitions of these titles indicate that God is distinct from the Son of Man and the Son of God since the Father gives his authority to, shares his prerogatives with, and anoints these figures. Mark depicts Jesus as bearing the roles and identities of both the Son of Man and the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of Man and the Son of God, not as two natures, but as two roles two vocations, two titles. That's a very, very important point for us to remember. We should also not lose sight of the fact that Mark chapter 8, verse 38 
comes immediately after Jesus predicted the rejection, suffering, and death of the Son of Man, only to be raised from the dead three days later. So the returning Son of Man in the glory of his Father is the same Son of Man who died and was raised to life by his Father. In conclusion, we have observed that Mark's continued depiction of Jesus as the Son of Man within his Gospel account consistently portrays an authorized human agent of the one true God, the Father. Mark chapter 8, verse 38 is just one verse, but it actually has a lot of information regarding the Son of Man and the Christological significance the title brings to Jesus Christ. First, we noted that the Son of Man returns from heaven in the role of the judge, carrying forth the prerogative of judging that was typically reserved for God alone in the Hebrew Bible. God has shared this role with the Son of Man, who formerly died and rose from the dead. The resurrected Jesus, when he returns, will still be a human being, a human being distinct from God and distinct from the heavenly angels. Second, we observed that the Son of Man comes in the glory of the Father, which indicates that the Father has shared his attribute of glory with this exalted human agent. God has rarely shared his glory with humans in the past. But when it does occur, these humans are special agents of God, such as Adam and Moses. Visions of the Son of Man depicted in Daniel chapter 7 also portray the human agent of God as the recipient of God's glory. Jesus' return will be a glorious return because Jesus will bear the derived glory that the Father has shared with the Son of Man. Lastly, we noted that there is an explicit relationship between the Son of Man and the Father in that God is the Father of the Son of Man. Not only does this set forth a hierarchy between God and Jesus, but it also marks Jesus out as a son of his Father. To be the Son of God is another Christological title, referencing the anointed King of Israel. Mark has effectively combined these two titles in his portrayal of Jesus as the Son of Man, who is the Son of the Father. By depicting the Father as the Father of the Son of Man, the authorized human agent of God is one and the same as Israel's anointed king. It is clear to me at this point in the narrative of Mark's Gospel that the portrayal of the Son of Man, who is authorized with the role of judge and the attribute of glory from his Father, is a portrayal best described as high human Christology, rather 
than a Trinitarian, angelic, or divine Christology. Join us next week as we continue to explore what Son of Man means in the Olivet Discourse and how this important title contributes to Mark's Christological depiction of Jesus Christ. Please consider supporting the Biblical Unitarian Podcast as it aims to promote the sound truths about the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. You can check out this episode's description for a PayPal link. Thank you so much for joining us at the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. My name is Dustin Smith. Until next time, you folks take care and have a happy new year.